0: on this episode of the C4SO podcast.
1: I think we still have a problem with image worship, just like we always have. So whether it's mm. I'm worshiping my own image or another image, or I yeah. see the image of someone else who whose life appears to be so much better than mine. And then, oh, what's wrong with my life? And this leads to despair. And so I think that's, really problematic. I'm not saying that there aren't good ways that social media can be used, but I I do think it also has a real opportunity to to malform us.
0: Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe.
2: Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome to the C4SO C4SO Podcast. Podcast. Mickey, we're back with episode two of the C4SO podcast this year on Ordinary Time, and I'm looking out my window, and then I'm looking at you on the screen, and I'm finding another reason to be totally jealous of you and Travis. I mean, there's (laughs) so much... To admire about you guys, but I'm looking out at like four degree weather and snow and I'm yeah. thinking of you in Tampa.
0: Can't relate at all. It is nice and, and 53 degrees over here. I know we talk about this a lot, but it is so interesting to see our settings and the folks that we interview and see what the weather is like where they're at.
2: I feel like I had a great treat today uh, listening to two ladies, you and Amanda Goen-Burgess, who's pastor of Community Care at Christ Church Overland Park in Kansas. I just thought it was so great as you guys, as practitioners uh, working on discipleship in a local church setting. I thought there were a lot of good insights in this episode.
0: Yes, Amanda is just fabulous. She's been in ministry for quite a while. And so we talk about intentional discipleship to Jesus, some of the things that maybe malform us, and how we can uh, really become apprentices to Christ. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Amanda Going Burgess.
2: Hey, Amanda, great to see you today.
1: Hey, guys, great to see you.
2: So I can picture you sort of because, you know, I've been to Christchurch so many times. In fact, I was thinking, getting on the podcast today, you can picture me because you're a native Nashvilleian, right?
1: Mm -hmm. I am.
2: Like born and raised?
1: Born and raised.
2: Wow. So you've been to Franklin. You you know our little town here where our offices are.
1: Love Franklin. It's beautiful there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you can picture me here at Fifth and Church, you know, just across the street from that historic, uh, United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought we could begin today by give everybody a favorite childhood story from Nashville.
1: Yeah, I can do that. I, you know, maybe this could happen anywhere, but mm. the, the memory that comes to mind is, so I was, I'm the oldest of four. And when I was a kid, we played outside a lot. And so there would Mm -hmm. always be like four kids playing in the yard. And I think all the neighborhood kids just thought, oh, that's where all the kids are. And so it was just us. But so they would all come over and then um, we would have these dance parties. So we would go in the upstairs of my house and turn off all the lights. Oh, yeah. And this was... I was a child of the 80s and so Michael Jackson Thriller was Yes, of course. Yes, favorite in our household. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we would play Thriller with the lights off and somebody would have to stand on a chair and do the flashlight like zigzag it back and forth. Oh yeah. For yeah. A strobe light effect. A strobe light, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we we were the the house with the dance parties. Oh my gosh,
2: you are that. a child of the '80s. Okay, so what else besides Thriller? I'm trying to think.
1: I just know what I listened to. Yeah, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Uh, there right you go. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of Amy <laughs> oh, Grant. Good. So mm, yeah, classic. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I didn't listen to a lot of contemporary Christian as a child, but I loved Amy Grant. Oh mm. uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, give us just kind of a quick history
2: and a current snapshot of Christchurch Overland Park mm-hmm. so that our listeners can have a sense of the setting in which you're doing your ministry.
1: Sure. So, Christchurch Overland Park has been around since 1959. I believe I'm right about that. So, we're going on our 65th year. Um, Pentecost is our birthday. Um, started as oh, a. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about. A lot of our, most of our, founding members have passed away, if not all of them at this point, but just wow. last year we lost a few of those long-term members, mm. but mm. Um, yeah, it's so established in around 1959 middle-class upper middle-class suburban area. We have five generations like age zero to a hundred two congregations now. So we have another congregation in mission, Kansas that meets in a, in a theater and they really kind of deck it out on Sunday morning. So it feels cool. like church. Yeah. They project the liturgical colors onto these curtains. Oh, and, nice. oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's ordinary time or whatever yeah. it happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Cool. Yeah. So we, we have, we're probably, we would be considered low church, I think, but we have a, we have traditional worship and by mm-hmm. traditional, I mean, right to with choir and organ Um, We also have contemporary worship, so no vestments, but similar liturgy, contemporary music, average Sunday attendance around a thousand across both congregations. So fairly large church, pretty big staff, several clergy. Um, Oh, and we're an alpha hub. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we've been doing alpha for 25 years. And so we've become a hub. We've been kind of successfully running that for all those years. So, yeah.
0: Amanda, you're the pastor of community care, correct? That's sort of yes. your role. Tell us a little bit about kind of your job and your day to
1: day, what you do at Christ Church. Sure. So what that means is I'm kind of the head of pastoral care at the church. Not that I do all the pastoral care, but mm-hmm. kind of make sure that people are getting visited in the hospital or receiving mm-hmm. meals, receiving, we have, we deliver our altar flowers, um mm-hmm. Offer grief support courses. And um, recently, we've really um, started offering a lot of mental health support. So, whether that's Mm. mental health seminars with various therapists coming in and doing teachings on trauma or depression, um, depression support groups. And Mm -hmm. now we have, we offer free therapy through university students, Friends University students, and training. And so that's been awesome. I mean, our, our student therapist was full from the beginning. So, so yeah, just sort of a, you know, whole person care kind of a, um, job. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's wonderful. So what's your,
2: what's your biggest joy in that role?
1: Um, gosh, how do I answer that question? I mean, I, I'm really grateful to work with people at the lowest points in their lives and to Mm. see them start to climb out of that. So whether that's beautiful, Grief or marriage difficulties, right. um, mental health, and well, and then adjacent to that, I am an Anglican priest, and I love serving at the table. I love mm-hmm. being able to offer people communion, whether it's in the context of the worship space or be able yeah. being able to bring communion to them.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, and
1: the real presence of Christ. So that's that, that's really a privilege. Mm, I asked because on a
2: bad bishop day. Uh-huh. I always think, man, I would just love to be a pastor again and just do soul care. And you know, the grass is always yeah. greener somewhere else. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's, it's it's not a real thought. It's just one of those ideological thoughts because I'm I know working in those spaces <laughs> can be challenging too. But I just yeah. so admire the kind of work you do and the work that chaplains do and that kind of stuff. I just think, yeah.
1: And so I actually, I was a chaplain for a while too, a hospice yeah. chaplain. So I think oh, that okay. was very formative toward what I'm doing now. But yeah um, I mean it, I do there are seasons where I do a lot of funerals, and that it's hard. Yeah. It's really right. hard yes. at the same time it's very rewarding just to be able to walk people through their pain yeah. and offer them Jesus. so yeah,
0: no, totally. It is a huge privilege. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So a- as Bishop Todd mentioned, this is a part of our ordinary time series, and so mm-hmm. we are talking a lot about discipleship and in your role you do a lot of discipleship, right? Like you are constantly meeting with people, meeting them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And so kind of based Mm -hmm. off of your experience in ministry and the work that you do, the leading assumption, and maybe one of the biggest challenges in the American church, is that you can be a Christian, but not a disciple. I think sometimes we have a hard time uh, kind of drilling down on what it actually means to be a disciple. So Tell us kind of how you see this playing out in your current context. How do you see this playing out in Kansas City? And then, you know, how do you and Christ Church, how do you cast a vision for the importance of discipleship to Jesus?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I think about that, being a Christian, but not being a disciple. I mean, I just, gosh, is it sustainable? I don't think it is, but um, I think I would say, Yes, I do see that playing out, but I also don't see it playing out. I do think there's been kind of a shift even in my lifetime. Um, I meet a lot of post-Christians, if you will, you know, people who grew up in the church but left because... Maybe bad teaching or toxic leadership, but even more from just never really having a relationship with Jesus in the first place. And Mm -hmm. I think there was a time where it was more important to keep up appearances than it is now, you know, saying I'm a Christian and going to church, but not really having that relationship. But I don't think I don't experience that as much now. I think that social pressure has lessened. Right. Um, And I even I talked to a lot of parents of, you know, maybe late boomer to Gen X parents who are very concerned for their kids not having a moral compass or Mm -hmm. um, not having, maybe they have a faith, but it's not a Christian faith. And, or even if they do say they're Christians, you know, why shouldn't I cohabitate with my girlfriend or whatever? Right. Um, Right. So, not to sound like a fuddy-duddy, but that's I do. I hear that a lot, um, and I'm hearing agnostic. I think more than mm. than Christian. So, I think yeah. it's kind of both. And I I definitely see that there are people who would say they're Christians who aren't really living a life of following Jesus, but there there are quite a few who I think are walking away from that and don't really feel mm. the pressure to say otherwise. So. On the other hand, I think this is the good news. Something I see I'm seeing at Christ church is, um, we have a lot of visitors and new members who are really longing for something ancient, something historical, something that's kind of has staying power. Mm -hmm. Um, they're longing for, you know, I, I want to know church history. I want to know, teach me the Bible. I want to know theology. And, um, so it's kind of both. And it's, it's almost like you're either all in or you're all out. If that makes sense. Yeah. With some in between. Um, But that that's very encouraging for me to see people longing for, for something that's rooted, you know, something, especially folks kind of coming out of a more non-denominational tradition that are looking for something that's deeper than Anglicanism, even, you know, just Mm. something that's that's historical and um has a foundation. Yeah. So that's um, so good. Yeah. I mean, and just to say one more thing about that. I think I think the lockdown allowed people to get reflective, you know. And um, so yeah. Yeah. I I think what I'm seeing at least is either people have left the church altogether or or they want to put roots down even more in their current community, or they discovered that the church environment they were part of was toxic. And so they started looking for something different.
0: I think it's so interesting that you're saying these things, because I I do feel like even here in Tampa, we see a very similar trend. Um, The the cultural Christianity thing has very much faded. It is not cool to be a Christian.
1: Therefore, people who
0: are not uh, sold on this faith are definitely not claiming it. And so Mm -hmm. we are seeing a lot of that people are really in, or they're really not. Um, But there is a yearning though. I like Mm -hmm. you're, you're saying, I do think that there is a, a search for something transcendent. There Mm -hmm. is something, there's a search for something much deeper and and a very rooted faith. Um, So that, that's really interesting. Not a surprise, Mm -hmm. but we're seeing a lot of this in Tampa too. So you know, when when you guys at Christchurch specifically, where you're at in mm-hmm. Overland Park, when mm-hmm. you talk about discipleship, what sort of picture do you have in mind, and, mm-hmm. and and sort of what is the the vision for the centrality of discipleship to Jesus? And I don't know that there's a good metric for this, but how mm-hmm. how do you know when you're getting good results or when yes. you're starting to see things happen?
1: Yeah. Um, well, when I think about the centrality of discipleship or our vision somewhere in our bylaws it says we exist to make disciples who make disciples like mm-hmm. even yeah. more than being anglican we are disciples of Jesus Christ and yeah. by the way i love being anglican like love it yeah. it's, it's the best,
0: best. It's the best. <laughs>
1: No offense, you know, and I I don't mean to be like a denominationalist, but I do, I love being Anglican, but even more than that, we exist to be disciples, right? right. By nature of being a disciple, make other disciples. So that's, that's a big part of who we are. It's been in our bylaws, even, even Mm -hmm. when we were part of the Episcopal church. So since the beginning, um, and then our, I think it's our vision statement is to be a people fully alive in Jesus Christ. And so that's maybe the the compelling, the vision, you know, without a vision, the people perish. But I think who doesn't want to be fully alive, right? That's how we express, I guess, the centrality of discipleship to Jesus, but how we cast a vision for that. I mean, the things that come to mind are patterns of alpha life groups. So our life groups are like small groups where we engage in relationships and Bible study, or maybe even a study of a creed or, um, if it's the season of Lent, doing going all in on a Lenten study, something like that. Um, and so we have those patterns throughout the year where we offer Alpha several times a year as kind of an entry point. We offer life groups several times a year. We now have a spiritual formation pastor and a spiritual formation team. And so that's something I think we've needed for a long time. But that's, it's more intentional now. And we're offering a sporm- spiritual formation course Retreats, opportunities to serve. I don't know if that answers the question exactly, but I think just consistently inviting people to Alpha, inviting them to invite people to Alpha, inviting people to life groups, you know, ways to be in community, in relationship at the same time that we're learning about Jesus together and studying the Bible.
2: I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like most of your guys' sermonizing, your teaching is pretty discipleship oriented almost mm-hmm. all the time. Am I right?
1: Yeah, I would I would definitely say that's true. Yeah. Just continuously bringing people back to that uh, being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, um, being yeah. part of the kingdom of God. I think that's yeah. something that people mention fairly often. You guys talk about the kingdom of God a lot, more yeah. than any other place I've been, which I think is interesting. I don't know that I would have noticed if it wasn't mentioned, but
2: I, I yeah. think it was in Dallas Willard's the divine conspiracy in one of the early chapters where he tells the story of the famous uh, professor from Fuller Seminary, Peter Wagner, mm-hmm. who traveled as widely around the world, visiting churches as anybody in his generation. And I remember he quotes Peter as saying, Peter had never heard a sermon on the kingdom.
1: Wow. Uh,
2: until from John Wimber. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. It, it, it doesn't get a lot of airtime in most uh, most circles. Um, and it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought of that, Amanda, is that when Mickey and I were preparing to visit with you today, we thought of Willard's book, The Great Emission. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's kind of shocking to think that he wrote that. that book came out in 2014, which means he was writing it in 2013. So Gosh. 11 years ago. And you think, well, mm-hmm. that's not that long ago. But I was, as I was just listening to you and Mickey, who work in this day in and day out, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. anymore. I could hear, and I love what you were saying because it challenges some of the assumptions around um, that kind of Christendom model that we had more of after World War II mm-hmm. and up to, I don't know, off the top of my head, 20 years ago or something, and, you mm-hmm. know, been declining since. What Willard was pointing out is that sense of, well, I say I'm a Christian, and I don't mean people are being weird or dishonest, but just, I'm a Christian, but there's no sense of being in discipleship. You guys are saying, yeah, it's kind of different right now. That's that (laughs) precise issue isn't as big as some other issues. So what are you guys seeing, Amanda, as you guys work that are the most malforming? Like what Um, in our culture is malforming us that you guys feel like you're um, constantly having to work against or to try to reinterpret for the sake of followership of Jesus?
1: I may sound like a broken record, but the first thing that comes to mind is social media. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, well, but say why.
2: And, I mean, sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. And, everybody could anticipate you saying that, <laughs> but say, but say why, like what yeah. what is it that you actually see as a practitioner every day?
1: So, well, for one thing, um, I mean, social media offers, Information It's easily accessed, uh, you know, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Meta, you know, um, mm. it's easily accessed. It's sound bites. It's and so it's it's empty. But at the same time, I'm not saying all social media is offering this. But if I'm say I'm reading something from something really thoughtful, like a C4SO person posts something and I'm reading it, mm. that's great. But there's always that opportunity to look around that. Um, and then I I mean, I have an addiction background and so maybe I'm just mm. speaking for myself, but those dopamine hits are just so yeah, addictive. And sure. I, yeah. you can end up in this social media vacuum. Um, but also I think it's I think we still have a problem with image worship, just like we always have. So whether it's mm. I'm worshiping my own image or another image, or I yeah. see the image of someone else who whose life appears to be so much better than mine, and then Oh, what's wrong with my life? And this leads to despair. And so I think that's really problematic. I'm not saying that there aren't good ways that social media can be used, but I, I do think it also has a real opportunity to, to malform us and yeah. not well, just,
2: let's Yeah. Let's stay there just for a second longer. Yeah, Cause yeah. as you were talking, I thought of something I'm not sure I've ever thought before. And that is the ability of social media to set the agenda.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like what's important.
2: Mm-hmm. On, right. any, on a given day, what should we care about? What should we be thinking about? What's central to human life? Yeah. And I think as social media has become more prominent, I think that's started to happen. So we're even sometimes have to contend for what's important.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, another aspect of that, I think, is news media. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we just we have so there. There's just endless opportunities to read, you know, various uh, news publications, and you know, I just know a lot of people who are. How do I want to talk about this? I guess discipled by that, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. just consuming massive amounts of news and politics are conflated with Christianity and this is really difficult as pastors and, you know, I'm sure for you guys too, obviously. well, yeah. you are pastors, but you know what I mean? But as, as preachers and as teachers to not sound political, even though you are being political, I mean, that's just kind of part of it. But um, I think people read into what they're hearing us say because of what they're being formed by in the news. Yeah. So whether yeah. it's conspiracy theories or just you know spending too much time with one version of the news, so that I think is very problematic. And at the same time, um, the way that news increases anxiety because of news about disasters, yeah. right? Fear, and of course that can, if you don't have a good foundation in the first place, in terms of discipleship to Jesus, this can cause you to question God and if there is a God. Mm -hmm.
0: No, (laughs) a hundred percent. It does feel like as people who are, you know, given the task of discipling people and caring for them and, and teaching them how to be disciples of Jesus, it does feel very often like we're going against uh, other things, discipling these folks as well. Uh, You know, there are endless opportunities for the world to, disciple you without you even realizing Uh like depending on what you consume uh depending on who you choose to listen to Uh refuse to listen to like in on so many levels so it does feel like we're fighting against that as you know people who who care about seeing people formed in the image of christ right people who don't even realize they're being formed in many other images and so how do we like how do we bring people back to like you guys mentioned that that centrality
1: of mm-hmm. discipleship to Jesus our allegiance to Jesus first. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so true. It's our, our very identity is being formed by what we're being told it should be, whether it's, yeah. and oftentimes it's not what God made us to be. So yeah, <laughs> it's, there's so many opportunities to be malformed.
2: Okay. C4. So clergy. Let's be honest for just a second. When's the last time you stayed in a castle surrounded by jaw-dropping scenery? Well, we're inviting you to do just that at the 2024 Clergy Retreat, April 24 through 26 at Glenary Castle in Colorado Springs. Our retreat facilitators Barbara Peacock and Steve Macchia will lead us in a nourishing time of soul care, including healing prayer and reflection. There will also be good food, time for naps, hello, hiking in the Garden of the Gods, and lots of fellowship. Register today at c4so.org to join us for a beautiful, peaceful retreat with all of your C4SO friends and family. So Amanda, another thing that I've noticed my whole career, and uh, again, listening to you talk to somebody who works in this every day today in a way that I don't, I just remember how um, a lot of the pushback against the activities or practices of discipleship is people either assuming or flat out saying, I, my life is just too full. I'm too busy. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. like literally I don't see how I could have the time to engage in any sort of um, Christian practice or habit. Um, How's that going these days? How is that? Is that a big deal? And as you guys work on discipleship and then what are you guys doing about it?
1: Yeah, it's, it is definitely a big deal. I, you know, I thought about this moment where my husband and I were, we like to take drives sometimes. And Mm -hmm. we were, we were driving through this wealthy neighborhood and not my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Yeah, just saying. (laughs) We're driving through this lovely, wealthy neighborhood, looking at the houses. And I think there were some kids, playing outside or something like that and and he's like wow these kids don't know how good they have it and i said yes and no because i know kids in this neighborhood who are suicidal and it's because of the incredible social pressure to excel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know oh, to yes. keep up your grades to be involved in lots of different sports and activities things that should be life giving but you know i do think people are they're overtaxed. Um, so yeah, I, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot about not having enough time to get involved. And I think maybe an antidote to that is at least from a pastoral care perspective, I, I'm always thinking about, well, not always, but often thinking about ways that people are sick. You know, we're not Mm -hmm. a country club for saints, but a hospital for the sick. Right. Yeah. Ways that people are in need. Um, broken, depressed, overtaxed. And so what can the church offer? What can being a follower of Jesus offer that's different? And I think that is, well, obviously healing and prayer, worship, um, authentic relationships, the peace that surpasses understanding. But I also thought about, I think Eugene Peterson calls it the ongoing activity of God. He talks about this in and you can probably correct me, either of you guys, if your, I know you're a Peterson fan. I think it's in either the contemplative pastor or maybe it's the pastor where mm-hmm. he talks about the middle voice in the Greek
2: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and how in the middle voice, um, as opposed to the passive or active voice, we participate in the results of an action that another initiates. Yeah. And he talks about prayer as being something that takes place in the middle voice. Yeah. So, yeah in the ongoing activity of God. And so maybe what we can offer is, and this is maybe a little bit of a James K.A. Smith quote, but not a quote, but at least it reminds me of his most recent book, that when we pray, when we're part of a community, this community of faith, of Christian faith, when we're followers of Jesus, that we're participating in time, we're inhabiting time in a different way. So as opposed to adding another thing to the list let me invite you into this eternal space, into Cairo's time. Yeah. Um, somewhere he says the unforced rhythms of grace. I forget which. Somewhere in the that's, message.
2: That's Peterson uh, in yeah. uh, Matthew eleven. Yeah, in the message. Yes. And and listening yeah. to you, Amanda. You know, as long as we're talking about Jamie Smith and Eugene, and and got to throw Dallas in there because mm-hmm. I remember, you know, it's decades ago now, but how stunningly enlightening it was to hear Dallas say, well, discipleship isn't primarily something you add to an already over busy life. Discipleship Mm -hmm. means taking your your life as you currently know it. Mm, Um, Again, that's another passage in the message. Take your everyday ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, getting up, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I think that's Romans 12. Romans 12
1: to something like that. Yeah, in the
2: message. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all those people, Jamie, Eugene, Dallas, they're all trying to alert us to... Yes, there are practices and habits to Christian spirituality, but they primarily adhere to our already life. Like Christian spirituality is not supposed to make us crazy busy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's, yeah, it's about inhabiting time differently. And Mm -hmm. I mean... I do think I do think that's a different way to think about things. I think it's hopeful. I think it's encouraging um, instead of, you know, you need to do this one more thing. You're not doing enough. Well, let me invite you into this different way of, um, you know, maybe couching time in, in something more than right now, something more than what's temporal Yeah, I mean, look at the mindfulness movement. No wonder it's catching on. I think people just, they don't know how to pause and breathe. Right. Um, And so this is much more than pausing and breathing, although those things are great. This is inviting you into a way of life that's beautiful and life-giving. And uh, there's a community of faith that you'll be a part of for eternity. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so thinking about the things you know, in light of thinking about the things that can malform us, mm-hmm. kind of falling victim to uh, a, a too full of a life or kind of thinking about discipleship um, in terms of like a, a lack of time or, or, or growing the growing lack of biblical knowledge or not having a church community um, to mm-hmm. walk through life with. Like these are all sort of pitfalls for us. They're sort of like. Things that can hinder us from thinking about our lives, you know, as you and Bishop Todd were mentioning, not adding discipleship as an extra thing for us to do. But how do we take our already formed lives and bringing them before the Lord and saying, "Okay, this is this is for you. This is, I, I want my life to be lived for you."
1: Mm-hmm. And so,
0: how how do you personally? kind of work on gaining a consistent understanding and practice of spiritual disciplines. So um, thinking about all the things that can kind of take us away from that,
1: uh-huh. what do you
0: consider like maybe some feasible spiritual disciplines or practices uh-huh. that, that we can begin to sort of implement and think through discipleship through those lens?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, a really, a couple of really simple ways. I think, um, I think about like people not having enough time to read the Bible, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we encourage people to use the Bible in one year app. Okay. And yeah. I mean, that, and I love the Bible in one year app. I think it's great. It's Nikki Gumbel who founded or co-founded alpha and he goes through an Old Testament reading, like some kind of wisdom literature, and, uh, and then a New Testament reading. And he does a little bit of a commentary for each. And you can listen to it, you can read it. Oftentimes, I will listen while I'm out walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a way that you can sort of inhabit time differently. Like, okay, I could be out taking my walk or working out and I could listen to anything. So maybe yeah. I use this time to pray. Maybe I use this time to go deeper. And uh, and not that that's exactly Bible study, but it is a way to read the Bible and to gain some understanding of it. And I think it's accessible. Um, I think his, he, his commentary is also very accessible, easy to understand. I, I do pray as you go. I love pray as you go. I I was introduced to it by Mary Hayes. And when I lived in Pittsburgh, many, many years ago, Um, it's a way to, not so much study scripture, but um, meditate on scripture and yeah. kind of engage with it in a more reflective way. And that's another thing you can listen to. <laughs> so,
0: you know, yeah. while
1: you're sort of going about your day, um, you know, w- life groups, I think being a part of a small group or a life group is so important because it's one thing to study the Bible on our own, but it's another to study it in community and hear those right. different perspectives and experiences with people that you're, you know, coming to feel accepted by and loved by and um, yeah, where you feel comfortable to kind of ask hard questions out loud. Yeah. Personally, it's really important for me. And I know this isn't necessarily doable for everybody, but going on retreat quarterly, even if it's a day, you know, just yeah. go get out in nature and just get your journal and your Bible and be with the Lord. Yeah. Um, just that time to pause and sabbath you know to reflect Mm -hmm. on what god has been doing maybe where he's meeting you now and where he might be leading you you know as i picture you
2: doing your work as you said it's kind of part normal pastoral work in a church part kind of almost chaplaincy when you're working with people in the difficult moments of their life what are you finding these days if anything that um would be a bit of a pattern maybe for an impetus or motivation for people who are taking that first step in discipleship and coming to Jesus. Like, like what are you guys learning on alpha about, uh, anything about what's kind of triggering the exploration of faith for people these days?
1: Yeah. Um, two things come to mind. One, just going back to that, we, we long to be people fully alive in God's kingdom. And I think, I think, most people, if they hear the phrase fully alive, that is compelling. Uh, So what does it mean? How do I, how do I get there? I think, I think that just having that kind of compelling vision, but also it's really simple, but invitation. Um, I think sometimes I think at least I'll speak for myself. We assume people will let us know when they want to serve or when they want to get involved um, or become a part of something the church is offering. But, in many cases, I think they, they feel unsure or awkward, or they, they don't really even know that they want to be involved. But there's something so powerful about just saying, Hey, do you want to be involved in student ministry or um, lay Eucharistic ministry? Do you want to be involved in, you know, in life groups, that invitation can be such a game changer. And I think, I don't like the word "should," but mm-hmm. we should never minimize those roles because that invitation yeah. oftentimes can be the beginning of a call on a person's yeah. life. I mean, it is a call, really, right? Mm-hmm. I'm calling you to follow Jesus in this way. Um, I just know for me, I was invited in the early aughts, you know, to serve as a as a volunteer youth minister at Saint Bartholomew's Episcopal Church, and if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am now. So, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the crank started to turn and I started to think about, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to serve. I want to be in ministry. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean that, I think invitation is huge because it, it gives people a sense of belonging. It gives them a Mm -hmm. sense of purpose of, of being part of that, again, that ongoing activity of God. So. That's so good.
2: I've been reading, um, a book, I think I have this right, called The Great De-Churching.
1: Uh, it's only been mm-hmm. out a
2: couple of months. And I'm not going to get this because um, I didn't prepare for this statistic. So I'm <laughs> not going to get this exactly right. But it's one of the groups that the authors describe. And I think it's like this sort of plain evangelical dechurched, meaning they didn't have any major hurt or something They just kind of wandered away from church over time or COVID. They never came back after COVID. Yeah, But literally 100% of those people are open to an invitation to come back to church. Not 98, not 99. The authors found 100%. And even of the people who are de-churched for more seriously harmful reasons, large majorities of them are open. So I think that's so great, Amanda, to connect that Mm -hmm. little invitation you got as a person probably in your early twenties or something mm-hmm. and to the life it led mm-hmm. to that's so encouraging that we not minimize just, it seems so small An invitation seems so small, Yeah, but it's, it's so real.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, I'm so glad I was invited to be a liturgical assistant, meaning somebody who serves communion yeah. on yeah. Sunday mornings. So cool. And it, yeah. And it just seems like, Oh, I mean, we can minimize that. Like, Oh, you're just giving somebody community, but no, this is like, it's It's such a deal. Yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. It's huge. And, or, you know, somehow serving with students um, serving Mm -hmm. in VBS. I mean, those are all just that invitation. I think it's so much more than an invitation to serve. It's an invitation into community. So I'm so glad you shared that, that statistic ish. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Um, Uh, you can find it. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. I I believe that. I mean, that's just totally my gut. That's just, you know, my intuitive experience. But I think it's, I do think it's true. So
0: yeah, no, and I love that you brought that up, Amanda, because I think that that's helpful for us to hear for those of us who are currently doing the work of planting or in the kind of the Mm -hmm. thick of the work of ministry and trying to find, hands, right? To do the work of the kingdom too. And sometimes all it really takes to pull someone into a life of discipleship and not just like as a means to an end, like, Hey, we need more people in nursery Mm -hmm. or, Hey, we need more people in the worship team, but we're inviting people into a life surrendered to service to Christ Mm -hmm. and his kingdom. So, Mm -hmm. and I think if we thought of it that way a little more, it'd be less scary to ask people. Sometimes it's like, you know, I think this person would do really well in this area. I want to ask her, but I don't want to like come on too strong. And I don't want to, but, but sometimes people really do need that invitation and we're calling them to something much deeper than just serving at a local church. We're calling them into, so that's a really good thing to bring up.
1: And it's a good reminder. You're absolutely right. It is scary. It is, you know, I don't want to come off as sounding like, oh, I just, I just want you to help me. Right, right, <laughs> right.
0: But it's so much <laughs> yeah, more.
1: It out, you know, but yeah, yes, absolutely. yeah. No, so. that's
0: so good. So Amanda, to kind of wrap up our time together, Bishop Todd and I were wondering if you could tell us sort of an encouraging story about life change, someone who began to take followership of Jesus seriously.
1: Well, I mean, there are, there are many, but the one that that comes to mind is a fairly recent one thinking about alpha again. So a young woman started attending our church a couple of years back and um, she was invited to alpha and you know, that's, there's that invitation again and she came and while she was there, she felt, so what alpha does is it offers a space for people to ask any question at all about faith, about life and about God. And so she took full advantage of that, asked the hard questions, and eventually the light bulb came on for her, and she fell in love with Jesus. Wow! And she um, she was engaged to be married, but had not been baptized, and so we started talking. And by the way, I want to give Beth Dixon, our alpha person, full credit. I mean, she really spent awesome. so much time with her, but she she wanted to get baptized. Um, but she wanted to do it at the right time. She was also engaged to be married. So there was the whole issue of, well, if we do the marriage, we really need you to be baptized, but we don't, you know, our encouragement to her was don't just get baptized so that you can get married. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, take the time to, to decide that this is really what you want and this is, you know, this is the time you want to do it and it's your choice and it's part of entering into, um, you know, life of following Jesus. Yeah. And so she decided to get baptized. And so I just want to say mm-hmm. I love infant baptisms. They're great, but there's something that's just so miraculous about an adult baptism. Sure. They choose I agree. it. Yeah. And she and she did full immersion, which was awesome. Nice. Beth Beth got to baptize her. I got to anoint her. And so you wow. had three women, three followers of Jesus, you know the waters of baptism, heaven's torn. <laughs> it was just beautiful. Awesome. And we were all we were all just choked up. And then, of course, being able to give her her first communion. Yeah, was just awesome. And her fiance was there. And I mean, it was all I could do to just get the words out. We were all very moved. And yeah, um, and it was just such an incredible experience of the real presence of Christ kind of going mm. back to that. Um, mm. And uh, healing and grace. And I just think, you know, as as um, as clergy, we have this incredible gift of being able to administer the sacraments. I mean, it, it really is one of the greatest gifts and privileges of yeah. my life to share in the real presence of Christ with somebody else. Um, so it's, Love it. Uh, just to I, go back to the ongoing activity of God, you know. Right, right.
2: Um, I think we can all hear the the joy in your tone of voice as you tell this story. So just as we wrap up, like say a bit more, like what, what was the impact on you of that story? And yeah. and how might you turn that into a word of encouragement for your colleagues that are listening today?
1: I think what I would just say is, you know, we get to do this. We get to be a part of, um, you know, there's, there are times that we talk about, the Holy Spirit was really present there, or I don't know, the Father was really present there. But there's something about communion, about the sacraments, that the real presence of Christ is, it's a very, at least for me, it's a very different kind of way of experiencing the Lord um, in this very relational way, in this very gracious way. And the fact that we get to do that, we get to consecrate, the fact that we get to be there for the epiclesis. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's just such an incredible privilege. Um, and, you know, it matters now. It matters eternally. It's, it is formative for, for others, but it's also formative for us to be able to uh, participate in the sacraments. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think just, just remember that, <laughs> remember that Jesus is really present when we, mm-hmm hand somebody a wafer and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. He is really present. um, And he's doing something in that moment with within both of us, within the community. So Amen. I hope that's an encouragement.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Amanda. Great to be with you today.
1: you to be with you guys. This was fun. Thanks so much
0: for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.